Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Tom Douglas here flying. Not solo. I'm here with my pal Pam Hinkley, oh, yeah, our producer, yeah. and Sean uh, McFadden. Uh, McFadden, who's over there on technical production this morning. We have a couple of lively guests in our audience that are enjoying a cup of coffee. We are here at the Hot Stove uh, in the lovely Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. If you ever want to come by and say hi during our show, just buy a ticket on hotstovesocietyradio.com. I don't know what to do this morning. I've already worked out. We're, we're taping a little early today. Hi to YouTubers that are watching us. Uh, if you go to Tom Douglas and Co., you can find our portal to get to our YouTube visual. I know some of you watch live. The Most of you watch during the week at some point. Uh, we're going to have breakfast this morning from the Dahlia Bakery because Chef Annie Elmore isn't here this oh, morning. We're God. all lonely. We're lonely. We're so sad. Topics of discussion today. We're going to switch the cadence of the show. You know, we usually we wind up the show with our food for thought, tasty trivia. This time is going to be in the first hour, so we're going to mix it up. Get a little crazy on you today. Our, our live guest didn't want to get up so early and yeah, come for the eight exactly. o'clock. So. Our favorite edible thistle, the artichoke, is going to be on the menu today. We're going to talk about how to cook it and maybe add, embellish it without going crazy. Oh, good. Uh, because I, I, I hate sometimes when artichokes are all prepped in advance. You lose all the leaves. All the, all the people save is the heart, and that's such a waste. Uh, Race Boathouse is celebrating its 50th anniversary. We're excited to have Doug Zellers and Jack Sekma in studio to honor their long tenure of hospitality on the Ballard waterfront. It reminds me, you know, I was down at the airport yesterday accepting the first Copper River salmon. Oh, that's right. With Trident Seafoods, who's uh, having their 50th anniversary. And, you know, I know all these people. Oh, yeah. You know what that means? We've been around for a while. (laughs) Yeah. I watched Jack Sigma at the the old Sonics uh, stadium, so... Uh, this is it's kind of weird to be this old uh, we're scooping up some delicious plant-based ice cream with frankie and joe's founder autumn martin now you worked with autumn at theo chocolate years ago yeah i'm a big fan of her artistry she yeah. takes creativity quite seriously what did you see in her right away that you uh i mean you were on her wagon long before anybody else i felt like she, she was a youngster, right? She is incredibly creative. She's got a different eye for how to solve problems. Uh-huh. And she did a couple of art shows at Theo in our store that blew my mind. One was all uh, the seasons, the four seasons, and she crafted all of these trees uh-huh. out of sugar sculptures. And then another uh, was the four elements, and she covered four naked bodies in I remember that molten one. Cho- I think I was able to talk you into coming yeah, to that one. Yeah, I think, one. yeah, I made that version. And then she, I mean, she just always has a unique approach. Lovely. I adore her. She's a, a, she's a sweet uh, lady, too. So rhubarb swings both ways. Uh, you brought some rhubarb from your backyard today, it looks oh, yeah. like. Huge leaves. And you told me, eat the leaves and leave the stalks for you. Is that right? <laughs> They're not as poisonous. That's my friend Pam right there. <laughs> as I originally thought. Uh, we're going to have our taste of the week, which is going to be lovely. But first, on my show notes, it says Pam apologizes for the Thousand Island debacle. Now, if I remember last week, you and I kind of like, I just kind of looked at you that you were making homemade Thousand Island. You're like the biggest hippie mama of all time. What are you doing even eating Thousand Island dressing? And so what happened? Why, why are you apologizing? You have to admit the version I made was spectacular. Uh, uh. <laughs> 
reduce sweet, no sweetness. Yeah, and then that, use, that got me a little bit, the no sweetness thing. And I, you have a sweet tooth. But switching from ketchup to sun-dried tomatoes just elevated it uh-huh. completely. But the debate in the room, including the audience, mm-hmm. was whether or not there was chopped egg in the dressing. Chopped hard-boiled egg in the Thousand Island. Which... And you insisted that there was. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It is traditionally... Uh, eggs in the salad that you use like on a chef salad where you have ham turkey cheese a hard-boiled egg some tomato wedges but boy did i hear from our audience really yes oh i'm so pleased i i knew you would be yeah there uh there were many entries in the most strident was from our beloved carol kreidler who used to make Uh all of our um coconut pie dough for Uh us uh she said the eggs and the sweet relish are what constitute the thousand islands really to give it texture carol i know i loved you already but now i love you even more so yeah you have to have a little sweetness i always put a little honey if i'm making a homemade version a little honey in there or something so so i'm officially apologizing so are you're not like tail between your legs apologizing no. you're still comfortable with what you did i'm still gonna make it my because way because it was, it was so blasphemous what you did no I ate the rest of it all week, and it was delicious. Rave reviews. Okay. I just don't know if that Thousand Island is the thing to elevate. (laughs) Well. You know what I'm saying? There is that. There's things that you probably like. Corn dogs. Do you really need to elevate corn dogs? Thousand Island, ranch dressing. You know, sometimes you just got to leave well enough alone. Uh, Although I will say, when I elevated corn dogs on Evening, the television show, it's still the most watched episode of Evening. Of the of my of my what versions. was the coating? I took the batter of the corn uh, and I dipped the dog in the batter and then I dipped it in bacon bits and then deep fried it oh, so that the bacon never, bits the never. bacon bits exploded on That's the outside horrible. of the corn dog. Never. Well, I'll just say <laughs> it wasn't the most appetizing looking thing in the world. It looked like something that we saw that the the nuns used to show us at St. Mark's about things that you don't want to do when you're... Cooking. Yeah, well, (laughs) cooking, yes, there's that. It is still the most watched episode I've done on evening. I've been doing evening for over 10 years now, so... Wow. Uh, My taste of the week still has got to be Washington asparagus. Last night, I sauteed mushrooms uh, in just a little bit of butter and bacon fat and then got them to where I wanted them and then added my big fatty asparagus. Nice. Because I love that big fat asparagus. Because you can sear the outside without overcooking the inside. Uh, Whereas if you have the really thin ones and you want to get a sear on them, it's hard not to overcook them. Yeah, they turn into limp little pencils. So I did that, and at the, I did it in a, essentially a dry pan, just the fat. It's a little bit oily, but nice. And then the, pan, the pan's hot, everything's burning on there, and then I hit it with a squeeze of lemon, mm. which immediately evaporates some smoked sea salt onto the plate. So delicious. I've got it. And we only have six weeks. Yeah. Go eat, eat asparagus every day. Yeah. Six weeks you, you have for local asparagus. So. Yeah. And if you eat asparagus out of season, you get what you deserve. <laughs> Who would do that? You know, we only have a six or eight week season. I love that Washington is um, so wor- strongly working on their branding. Have you seen the blue elastic bands yes. that tell you that it's Washington? Oh, is that meant yeah. to tell you that it's yeah. Washington? I did not know that. Uh, even the rubber P- bands, elastic yeah. bands. The, the rubber the, bands. Yeah, even PCC is carrying California and Washington, which I don't understand. But I don't get it either. I don't get it. So uh, when you're looking around for asparagus, if you, uh, if you always kind of look at that, and go, those asparagus are too big. No. They're going to be too tough. No just, such thing. Just peel the ends a little bit. 
and they'll be perfect for you. So uh, that's my idea of the taste of the week. Don't forget to eat asparagus. Uh, Sean uh, is, is directing me to go into the next segment. It's the art of the artichoke on Cairo Radio, Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. The Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Chef Terry slept in this morning, so we'll expect him at some point with sleepy eyes and uh, sitting in his chair and going, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, we're going to be able to tease him for a while. <laughs> exactly. It's Tom Douglas and Pam Hinckley, our show producer. Sean's over on the technical side, making sure that we're on time for our breaks. Pam, you uh, you wanted me to talk a little bit about artichokes. Why? Well, they're showing up in the stores. Absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I lived in California for a while, so I was really enamored of that. Castro Valley, where the artichokes... Just that cool, dewy, misty ocean air. Yeah, they're very uh, reliant on that Mm -hmm. environment. And that's why they have such a short season, right? Three months max for the the artichoke season. The rest of the time of the year, you'll find they're just inconsistent. You'll pick one up, it feels like a marshmallow. Right now, they feel heavy and dense and perfect. So they are able to... um, You said it beautifully, because they are able to... harvest almost year round Mm -hmm. but the difference in the crop now being the pinnacle one and then there's a smaller one around october Mm -hmm. when some of that coolness and heat tension is still correct but right now is when you've got to buy them yeah exactly so how do you like them one of the recipes i saw uh was for double fried remember that place we loved in san francisco lulu's Mm -hmm. where they had that fritty uh, dish. Mm-hmm. They had the fried lemon and the fried artichoke, where it was all Frito misto. Yeah, mm-hmm. where it was all crispy. But I have to reduce my reliance on fried food, so uh, <laughs> I, I love them steamed with a little <laughs> lemon. <laughs> well, when I first moved to Seattle in 1977, uh, artichokes were on every menu in town that I could think of. I mean, if, it was just a you had to have it. If you opened a restaurant, you had to have an artichoke on the menu, and it was either steamed and then the you know the, everyone cuts the little prickers off with a pair of scissors and then at the restaurants i was working at we would steam the artichokes whole then we would open them up kind of pull them apart get in there and scoop out the choke, choke yep which was i mean they were cooked pretty much to death but so the choke would come out and you scoop that out and then everything from there was kind of chef's choice but typical in the seattle area at the time was uh, baby shrimp with breadcrumbs or something like that, put back into the artichoke and served as a kind of a cold lunch salad or as a, um, if you wanted it hot again, it would definitely be like cheesy breadcrumbs inside. And you'd pull the leaves out a little bit and stuff every little area of the artichoke with these breadcrumbs and then pop it back into the oven. You know, you put a ladle of butter over top. So it's just cheesy breadcrumb deliciousness. That sounds good. Now we don't do that. No. That's a very 70s, 80s oh, thing okay. to do. Yeah. So don't, what, what's don't the do modern that. version? So the modern version, I just put them on the menu when the palace reopened because it's the season, right? They're beautiful. Uh, so the modern version is we take them and we take that little tip off where all the spikes are. And they do have artichokes without the spikes these days, but the artichoke itself, I have not felt is as good but anyway then you go around the outsides and you cut all the tips off with your scissors 
Then I slice them in half and I steam them. When they're done cooking, I take the choke out. Now I've got a half an artichoke scooped out center. The leaves are still there so that, when, you know, that favorite thing where you dip into the butter, you dip into the mayo, and you scrape it with the back of your teeth or your bottom so teeth. Fun. Yeah, so fun. But here's the key what I do. Our new fish taco spice, it's got a real citrusy quality. and It's not spicy, but it's got four different mild chilies and then uh, a lot of citrus powders in it. Wow. So I take that half an artichoke that's just been steamed, and I put my uh, fish taco spice on it. And I take it and I put it face down on the wood grill for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. That's all it takes. Doesn't seem long enough. A little bit of olive oil but and the, the spice and 30 seconds. It's amazing how much, you know, wood, our wood fire is applewood, so it's sappy and smoky. And, and that's why even on a burger or a little steak or something that doesn't, isn't long on the grill, piece of bread, it picks up the smoke really fast. So 30 seconds because I don't want to overwhelm it. It's on a hot grill, so it gives it a little hard char sear, and boom, it's done. And you've got this perfectly smoky, delicious half artichoke on your plate. It's just so fun to eat. Uh, share, it's a good shareable appetizer. Get something to chat over with a martini or a Negroni. Probably Better. a Negroni, wouldn't it be? Better. Remember, uh, I, for some reason with artichokes, I always think of carciofi. Because taking the train through Italy, there was just field after field after field of artichokes just swaying in the wind. And yeah. you just wonder, how can they eat so many artichokes? And then they make a Negroni and then it's, <laughs> they just it's also easy. no, but they, they harvest them very young over there, yeah. much smaller than we do. We end up with these big globe artichokes, whereas the artichokes over there tend to be a, a real wispy. And the small ones, if you pick them young, they don't have the choke. You can eat pretty much the whole thing. You just take off the outer edge and you can eat the whole artichoke. And that's when you when you get your fried ones. That's generally what you're getting yeah, is baby one. artichokes. Yeah. What about the stem? How far down are you peeling the after you steam them or before off the stem so that that all stays soft and edible? Uh, before. 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 I'll just trim that up. But, you know, the stem, you don't want to just cut off the stem, right? The stem so is... You want a, a lot of that, that's right? As much as you can keep. A lot of times they've been picked for a week or two, and you'll see at the end of the stem, it's dark brown. Yep. Just take an eighth of an inch off. And you'll see clear stem again. And then just take a paring knife and just peel the tough outer leaves. It's a little bit like a broccoli stem where you just want, you don't want to get too crazy. Uh, just peel that hard outside casing off and then you're all set and ready to go. But that stem is part of what the prize is. If you look in, um, when I was at the Hotel DuPont in 1976, we used to have cans and cans and cans of artichokes on the shelves. And it was all artichoke bottoms, all The canned. bottoms? The bottoms. And they would use, they would just un, undo the can. It's a fancy hotel. But it was very typical to just undo the can and uh, use that bottom for something like the base of a salad or whatever. At the, in those days, we did not have avocados the way we have them now. Avocados were seasonal. And to get a ripe avocado was... Yeah, probably too a treasure, expensive. right? Yeah, and it wasn't even a, it wasn't ethnically even in our lexicon the same way that it is today. Uh, now, avocado is the biggest selling vegetable in the world in the in the winter time. So it's it's kind of crazy. For and the drug reason. cartels in Mexico control the avocado <laughs> crop. I've seen ma many different uh, recommendations on the steaming, poaching, uh, braising uh -huh. initial stage with or without. Lemon and salt. Do you right. have any? What's well, a little uh, bit like opinion. fish? Like when you're poaching fish, you want to make a little corp bouillon. 
So if you're going to steam an artichoke or braise an artichoke, you just simply make white wine, lemon, a slice of chew of onion, whatever kind of things you know you have in the fridge that you want to get used up, uh, and then move on from there. You are you just you either boil them or I put I put them in a big like a soup pot or a canning pot if I have a bunch. Put the rack down on the bottom and put maybe an inch of water in the bottom, and slow steam them. Put the lid on top. Just turn them upside down so the steam goes up inside ah, the artichoke. Yeah. And how do you know when they're done? I don't. Can I use my instant read thermometer? You can, <laughs> but first you have to stick a paring knife in to see where it is. If it feels tender as it go, if it goes right through, or if the paring knife gets stuck, it's not done yet, right? But if it just goes in and comes right back out, yeah, it's done. Now put your instant read in so that you know in the in the future what kind of temperature you're looking at. Mm, mm. But I will tell you that every artichoke is different. Like I said, some are really dense. Some are little air bombs. Uh, and uh, so you, the air bombs are going to cook much faster. And there was also quite a number of recipes that were just roasted. Prepared. But typically they are steamed first and then roasted. Okay. Because you have to, you know, unless you're going to serve it with the choke in, which some, some places do. But uh, that's like serving fish with the pin bones still in, you know. It's just, Not in a too fancy classy. restaurant, yeah, no, fancy restaurant, don't you just don't do that. Do so, that. just just hard roast them or roast them on the charcoal grill after they've been steamed. I think it's much easier. It's hard to get some of those uh, stem or the broccoli crust. It's hard to get that right uh, without peeling the ends first. So, good tips. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I believe we're going to play some trivia now. Yeah, I know this is a very odd thing. You're thrown off my. Feng Shui here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society show. Come back for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. 97.3 FM. in the house on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show coming to you from the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. Chef Thierry's alarm finally went off and he chose to join us for the show. Welcome, welcome Chef. You're most unwelcome. Are you kidding? No, I'm I not kidding. I so well. Yeah, I could tell. Oh, uh, we are here. Uh, Ron and Anne are here. They're our only guests today, so we roped them into playing Food for Thought Tasty Trivia with us. Uh, we can't wait. Uh, Anne is very skeptical. But uh, you guys got this, uh, these tickets as a Mother's Day present. Is that right? Yes. Oh, lovely. Beautiful. Your kid is so smart. Yes, she yes, is. Yes, indeed. Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love, our own brand of dry spice rubs. Our warehouse in Ballard is where we mix and mingle a mosaic of flavor profiles. And you can pick any one, including the brand new All-Star Rub in honor of the All-Star Game this summer, uh, any one of the 21 flavors or sauces. We love being in the brewery district. Plan a date to buy a rub, eat a serious pie pizza at our picnic tables, and check out one of the 12 frothy tap rooms right in our hood there at 14th Northwest. 52nd yeah. and 14th. It's such a cool neighborhood now. I know. Uh, let's see. Uh, McClendon Hardware, who brought in our new <coughs> limited edition All Star Rub into all seven of the locations, is a good spot to stop and check for in their grilling section for All Star Spice Rub. Okay, let's play. Pam, uh, you got let's some questions? Play. 
I've got some questions, and um, we're so glad Ron and Ann are teaming up to play against Tom and Terry. Terry always goes first, so he'll get five questions, and you'll, you'll see how it goes. Uh, and then you'll be second, and we finish with Tom. And what does she win for playing? She's going to get to pick out three spice rubs. I think she's going to give them to her daughter, probably. No, no way. No, is not a chance. <laughs> I I'll give her a chance. Yeah, you can give her Did you see her face? No way. No way. No way. I love her, but okay, not that much. Chef, chef uh, let's wake up and get started here. <laughs> here we go. Number one. What ring-shaped pasta, frequently filled with meats or cheese, are sometimes referred to as belly buttons because of their navel-like shape? I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like... Uh, I can't see the pasta, but the name, no, I don't have Stuffed it. Stuffed pasta. Tortellini. Tortellini. There you go. Number two. Cincinnati is home to a unique style of what kind of food which they often put on hot dogs and spaghetti? You want multiple choice? Yeah, that would be good. Is it roasted peppers, chili, or a tomatillo sauce? That's going to be the roasted pepper. It's the no, it's a chili. chili. That was my dad's favorite meal when he was out on the road traveling. Was chili noodles from Cincinnati. I've never heard of yeah. putting it chili. My mom made it for him all the time. Chili on noodles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you oh. said that a few times, Tom. But I've just the idea. Thanks for thanks for listening, Chef. No, no. I, I, this one is right up your alley, Chef. Okay. The couscous mixed with beef and vegetables in a tagine is often considered the national food of what North. African country. Morocco. Exactly. That one I know. Yep. What's the six-letter name for the Vietnamese single-serving sandwich usually served on a baguette? B-A-N-M-I-H-N. I'm sorry. B-A-H-N-M-I. Exactly. Bon me. I love Wordle. Um, And finally, what is the term for a sweet pie of British origin often filled with a mixture of dried fruits and spices referred to as meat? The the pie is traditionally served during Christmas and was once known as mutton pie. Is that mince pie? Yeah, mince meat pie. Yeah. Nice job, chef. Strong start. Waking up. Just above the average. Three. (laughs) Ron and Ann, uh, oh, this one's tricky, but I'll help. <laughs> Lactobacillus and Streptococcus are the two most common bacteria used for creating what grocery store staple in the dairy department, which skyrocketed to popularity in the 2000s. Yogurt? Yeah! Ooh, we've got some I would have said sm- kefir, so I would have been wrong yeah, on that. You've yeah. got, we've got some smart in ones today. In the 2000 today. yogurt? In 2004, New York City took legal action against vendors at an Ecuadorian festival uh, to prevent them from selling the meat of which animals? The animal belongs to the rodent family and is a common household pet in the United States. Cats? Close. You have to. You have to. Talk. It's the guinea pig, right? It's the guinea pig. Yeah. Do we? Are we giving it to him? Yeah, of course. I think that's Ron had it thing. the whole time. Ron knew. Yeah. But you got to talk right into the mic, or our listeners can't hear you. Lint expanded their chocolate empire in the 1990s with the acquisition of what California-based chocolate company, founded by and named after an Italian immigrant, and is really popular in San Francisco. Ghirardelli? Exactly. Yeah. Wow, nice I job, we, I man. I think we have world travelers on Even yeah. I knew that. Coffee was the first food to undergo, uh, to undergo what process 
for cold temperature, long-term preservation. Freeze dry? Yes, I love you. Wow, that was I, I was I was shaking. I was like racking my brain for that one. Yeah. See, it's called bruise dry. Freeze dry. Oh, freeze dry. Freeze dry. Got it. They took, it to, they took it to the moon, I think. Yeah. And finally, what upscale retailer was founded in Austin in 1978 by John Mackey and Renee Lawson? The small store was initially called Safer Way as a spoof of Safeway. Started in Texas, now is national, a leader in natural foods. <laughs> Uh, now owned by Amazon. Whole Foods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are she five? Are they five? Five out of five. <laughs> wow. We're wow. never inviting our guest up to the mic again. No, no. <laughs> and next time we see you nervous, we know not to invite you. That's a bad sign. This is her first time ever even seeing the show or hearing the show. Oh, yeah, you need to be nice to me because I'm planning to bring back all my friends next time. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, every time you come, you'll win. <laughs> Tom Douglas? Mm-hmm. Um, on Seinfeld, um, while Jerry and Elaine are waiting for a table at a Chinese restaurant, Jerry dares Elaine to eat what food from a stranger's plate? <laughs> An escargot. <laughs> Egg roll. Number two. What? <laughs> why, why would, just curious, why would I know this? <laughs> I never watched Seinfeld, so I have yeah, no okay. idea. All right. Uh, what pop superstar teamed up with Oreo to offer her little monster fans a themed pink cookie with green filling released as a limited edition in 2021, and is, she is now the spokesperson for Dom Perignon. Let's say Dolly Parton, because she's a youngster. Uh, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Oh, wow. The, uh, number three, the traditional recipe for pound cake includes one pound each of four ingredients Flour, sugar, butter, and... Flour, sugar, butter, and eggs. Yes. Yay! Now owned by ConAgra Foods, what brand of cake mixes, pie fillings, and other sweet treats is named after a man who was born in Bowling Green, Kentucky? Mr. Duncan Hines. You got it. And this one is so perfect for you. The snack that smiles <laughs> back. Our listeners could just see your face right now. I know. You're feeling mighty proud about yourself. I just know you'll like this one. Uh-huh. Uh, the snack that smiles back is the slogan for what salty vegetarian snack? The snack that smiles back. Comes in a lot of flavors now. Really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You even use them for something. Oh. I use them for something. Uh, Maybe it's E-Town. Oh, oh. Oh. Yeah, I saw Tame and Butter and Bacon Fat. Exactly. Yeah. Goldfish. Goldfish. They're mm-hmm. smiling back at you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. How'd he do, Terry? He did three out of five, so Tom and I are tied, but the big winner is Ann and Ron. Woo! Congratulations. Well, let's jump right in uh, from trivia to rhubarb. When we come back, is it sweet or is it savory? On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. They take me back to those old days. Rhubarb pie. Rhubarb pie. 
Some before I die The rhubarb pie The rhubarb pie Welcome back to Chef Terry Rotro, who decided to join oh, yeah. us today. Party motivator. Party motivator. We're going to talk a little bit of rhubarb, Chef. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually getting towards the end of rhubarb season because, yeah. to me, uh, to me, it's not the most flavorful thing in the world. It's a beautiful color, especially these uh, crimson rhubarbs. And did you know, uh, I always remember this from our show, I learned this on our show, is that when somebody is having a strawberry rhubarb pie... Yes. You know that it doesn't necessarily have strawberries in it because there's a type of rhubarb called strawberry rhubarb. Correct. Yeah, I learned and that here too. Exactly. So that is, did you know that, Pamela? I did not. Yeah, there you go. There's a, you know, just a little thing every week I like to bring something to the table. Thank you. This week I'm bringing strawberry rhubarb to the table. Well, I don't like the way strawberry, the texture of strawberries when they're cooked. So I, that's good news. It is really good news because I agree with you. And I'm just yeah. not the biggest rhubarb fan, but I'll eat it this time of year because that's all there is. <laughs> but now that we're moving into asparagus. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think rhubarb can be, to me, first of all, I think there is flavor in rhubarb. But I mean, it's got a bitterness that you don't find in many. Right. There is many plain, acidic, yeah. many plain vegetables out there that are boring this is not boring. I mean, you can, you can definitely diversify. And um, I like them. We used to pickle them at, uh, at Luke and uh, use that with uh, pork chop. Mm-hmm. And that's really good when you, you know, when you have... That is a great combo. When you have a pickled, semi-sweet pickled with bitter that goes on top of a nice grilled meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that marries really well and it's a nice combination. And so let's talk about that from beginning to end. Just right? give us... A, because a lot of people have the stalks... And they're so used to just putting it in something sweet. I made strawberry rhubarb brown butter cakes the other night where I put uh-huh. the rhubarb in the caramel, right. put the cake batter on top, and then when I turned it out, you have that really beautiful kind of caramelized rhubarb top. Right. But, but I will say that's fairly typical of rhubarb to be used in those kind of scenarios. Right. Let's talk about the pickle and how do you get moved down. Because to me, what I hate is when people overheat the rhubarb and it becomes right. this stringy mess. But to me, there is two things about rhubarb. It's not just about being red. You know, many people will insist on wanting the rhubarb to be red, so they keep the, the, the skin on, the fiber on. And I'm like, you know, it's not very pleasant to eat mm-hmm. if it's not a perfect ripe rhubarb where the, where the fibers are going to melt. It's really not pleasant. So just take the skin off. I know, I'm going to drive you crazy. You're driving me crazy right just, now. See, yeah, yeah, of course. Just peel the, the rhubarb mm-hmm. off. Peel that and nice then, red skin off, throw the skin away. The nice red skin, it, did you try eat that before? It's got tannins just like a red apple does. No, no, it's got much, much stronger fiber. It's not always pleasant well, to eat. Uh, let's go back then. Well, you said you pickled it. Yeah. Well, you didn't pickle stalks of it, did you? you didn't I, you slice across that fiber? Exactly. So I then put, it doesn't have fiber anymore. I mean, it's, I know, but I'm talking about when you want to peel them when the fiber is really thick. It's just like celery. Some celery are very young and tender. Some celery is a very strong fiber. Has just anyone in our audience ever peeled celery before? Absolutely. Look, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Confirmation. Above the average, three out of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Tom Douglas, you should have. Three out of six. Okay, anyway, I use the fiber for the stock, so it's not like I put it in the garbage, mm-hmm. but I just don't like to chew on something like that. So anyway, the rhubarb... You cut them in, like you said, you cut them in pieces about one inch long, and you just put them in a, in a brine. The brine is made with, you know, I always say, three, two, one. Right. You know, three water, two vinegar, one sugar. Right. And then you bring that to a boil. And then in there, you can add a little spice. You can put some coriander. You can put a little bit of 
I even even put curry to color my my. So you could use turmeric, curry, whatever. Whatever. So you could change the color of the rhubarb, basically. You you bring that to a boil for about a minute or two just to to steep those spices. Uh And then you cool it off. And then you put your rhubarb overnight in there. When it's hot. When it's warm. Okay. You don't want it to be like boiling. You want it to be warm. Then, yeah, then the rhubarb mushes out and it's not as crisp. You want want this. The warm will penetrate the rhubarb. The heat, if it's too hot, it will break it down to... A puree which you're going to lose your rhubarb. So you want it room temp to above, just slightly above room temp. Mm-hmm. You put your rhubarb in there overnight and you'll have beautiful pieces of rhubarb that will be impregnated with that um, brine. You know, and this so now you've just grilled your chicken or roasted your chicken on the wood fire right. and got it all ready to go. Yep. To me, I'm going to put my chicken skin side down on a little sizzle platter so I get a nice crunchy chicken Skin. Right. Careful not to, to put too much moisture from the rhubarb pickle on top of that. You'll sog it out in a second. Yeah. And you'll lose both textures of the chicken and of the rhubarb. Yeah. And yeah. I would also put the rhubarb on. I would put it on the side and have people just pick. Really? Oh, yeah. I'd be very adventurous. Who's going to pick up that rhubarb side because you've peeled off all the beautiful red part of it? And no, no look- don't worry. They will. You give them a little pick and a yeah. fork and they okay. just. And every bite of chicken, you just take a bite of rhubarb and. Melts in your mouth nicely, and it's a nice match. Mm. Pamela, you uh, love savory rhubarb. Uh, is there a way that you make it? With gin. With gin. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> uh, it's really nice to make a simple syrup out of it. And I just uh, saw adding a little bit of fennel, too. Mm-hmm. So rhubarb, fennel in a gin cocktail mm-hmm. with a little salty rim. But I also, I, I really love it as a glaze on grilled meats. Mm. So cooking it down, thinning it out, straining it. But it, I love that tartness so yeah. much mm-hmm. on, on top of a rib. The other day when I was macerating, you know, a lot of times you put rhubarb on the counter, all chop, put sugar on top and leave it for the next day, right? And you end up with this big pile of pink juice at the bottom. And you, the rhubarb is still crunchy, typically, if it's just straight sugar. Take that juice and reduce it down mm-hmm. into a, a rhubarb caramel. And it was beautiful with whipped yeah. cream. It's just oh. got that gorgeous ruby color. Uh, and it's, uh, it, was, it was great on my Take, pear Taking tarts, that so. uh, rhubarb puree and putting it on, uh, when you make very, you know, sugar cookie, vanilla sugar cookie, very simply done, but very heavy in, in sugar usually. And you take the rhubarb and you just make one very thin layer on top of the cookies and you take that caramel and you drizzle it on mm-hmm. top, that cookie will be delicious. Delicious. <laughs> My grandmother used to do uh, a rhubarb hand pie. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I've known you for a long time, and you've never quoted anybody in your family about their cooking skill. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> you've always been very demonstrative the other direction. So tell us. Um, well, my paternal grandmother mm-hmm. had a big dairy farm and a gigantic vegetable garden. So she was adamant about using every scrap of food that came out of that garden mm-hmm. and cooked down. We, we used to rummage through and just take a bowl of sugar out into the yard and snap off a rhubarb stalk and oh, yeah. dip it in the sugar. But she res- managed to rescue enough to stew some. She, she stewed it for my grandfather, but Ew. then for us, she made I know. Just gross, gross I know. Out. It was yeah. weird. Stewed rhubarb. But then she saved some chunky stuff and made little buttery ham pies. 
makes good jam. I mean, it's a very good fruit to, to put in a jam. It's funny how people use sugar. You know, I brought it's Jackie. It's mostly sugar. I brought my wife Jackie home to meet my parents for the first time in Newark, Delaware, and my sisters were sitting in the driveway with just beautiful lettuce leaves that were picked right out of my mother's garden, right? So blah, blah, blah. But next to them on this steep driveway... They had a bowl of sugar, and they would put <laughs> teaspoons of sugar on the lettuce, on the lettuce leaves because the lettuce was bitter. You know, it's like uh, and <laughs> teaspoons of sugar, and roll it up and eat little sugar wow. lettuce cigars. And Jackie vomited in the driveway. Well, yeah, I'm like, I have never seen that. I'm so grossed out. Uh, okay, we have another full hour of deliciousness coming your way. Ray's Boathouse is going to be here with their 50th anniversary celebration. Autumn Martin is going to show up, your old pal from Theo Chocolate. Yep. And uh, I invested in her business called Hotcakes years ago. One of the few investments I made that I made money on. And now, and, and now she's Frankie and Joe Ice Cream. Frankie and Joe Ice Cream on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We're thankful that you're with us, whether you're in your garden, in your car, uh, watching our podcast on our YouTube live channel, or, or whatever it is that you're doing. We're thankful that you're here with us. We're going to talk with the folks from Ray's Boathouse for our first couple of segments. Autumn Martin is going to join us for the last couple from Frankie and Joe's Vegan Ice Cream Shop. And I've known Autumn for a long time, and she's always like the most healthful thing. Uh, and so we're going to find out if vegan ice cream is really something to behold or... Uh, you know what she's going to say. She's just going to like, oh, it's the best. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out. I can't out. wait to see how to see what she says. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's jump right into Ray's Boathouse. You're celebrating your uh, 50th anniversary. Uh, Doug Zellers is here and Jack Sigma, co-owners of the Ray's Boathouse over there on Shulshow Avenue, right? Yep. Doug? Yeah. Yep. And... How long have you been involved with Ray's? Oh, I turned 10 uh, this June. This June. Jack, you've been with Ray's for... Uh, I think it's 40. 40 Did you buy in when you were a Sonic or was it after you uh, yes. retired? Yes. Oh, I during was, it. Uh, yep. Wow. Uh, no kidding. I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, find out that uh, maybe there was a little piece of Ray's available and uh, <laughs> I jumped on it. Um, being familiar with it as, you know... You were a visionary... Well, uh, I think the vision was there already. I just got a chance to jump on board. So. It was only 10 years old when you, when you bought it, right? Yeah, it was something like that, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, 10 <laughs> years is, is not. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, at that time, the Sonics were such the, a piece of Seattle's fabric. Uh, I remember I was a young chef in 77 at Benjamin's in Bellevue when Lenny Wilkins and all those guys were living over there and would come into Benjamin's after the game or uh-huh. on the, the nights off or something. So, um, Big fan of that era of the Super, Seattle Supersonics. Uh, so not too many people have jumped into investment in Ray's or investment in any restaurants and come out whole. You seem to be doing just fine. People always tr- kind of trash the restaurant industry, but it's been a steady business, hasn't it? It has been. Uh, you know, always ups and downs from uh, economic uh, situations. Uh, you know, there was a big change when uh, Lake Union opened up to mm-hmm. our lunch business, where all of a sudden the waterfront downtown uh, lunch crowd. A little had, easier to get to. Yeah, easier yeah. to get there to. And, and, uh, but uh, always uh, 
depended on uh, you know the the neighborhood. Ballard's been very good to us. Agreed. You know, we just continue to make some adjustments, and uh, again, it's it's been a, a fantastic experience for me. It's a it's a, the restaurant business. You're so connected to the community. Oh man, you really are. And you know, and it, it's a, it's a people business, both with. Uh, having the opportunity to serve them the best products and so forth and then add the service level with it. So uh, it's really been a, a, a good investment and an enjoyable investment to me. And I'd be remiss if, if uh, you know, uh, Terry uh, said that, you know, to jump in at, with the restaurant only 10 years old is not a sure thing. But the ownership group at that point in time with Earl Lasher and Russ Wollers and Elizabeth Gindrich, getting to know them and so forth, it was easy to understand why the restaurant was a success. Right. So let's go back a little bit even before then. 1939, uh, do you know all this history? I sure do. Uh, why don't you tell us about the history of where Ray started and, and uh, how it came to be what it is today? Uh, Ray, uh, Ray Lichtenberger had a fishing business down on Harbor Island. On Harbor Island, so the other end of the... The other end, yeah. yeah. And it started to become, with all the boat traffic, started to become uh, real congested, so he wanted to go someplace where it was totally quiet, and there was no one around, and the fishing was good. <laughs> so he went to the middle of nowhere, he went to uh-huh. Ballard, uh-huh. Um, and that's 1956. Treeless Ballard. Treeless Ballard. Isn't that crazy? The Norwegians just cut everything down. Yeah, they, yeah. Built, they built boats out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came in the middle of nowhere and built a dock and started a boat rental business in 56. That big uh, 40-foot red neon sign went up. And it, from my understanding... Did it go up then? 1956. No? Oh, okay. So um, so he uh, turned that little bait shop, and then he started selling some coffee, and then he started selling some chowder, and it turned into a kind of a little more of a booming business. A few restaurants were in there that he had. There was a little retail shop. Remember a barber shop, Jack? I'm right? Yeah, uh, where it's banquet facility now yeah. on, oh. on the north end. Uh, yeah, there yeah. was... And then uh, Rick Ellingson from Bargaining and Ellingson and Russ got together, and they said, hey, there's a, the spot opening up. Ray wants to get out. What do you think? Uh, and that's kind of the, the beginning of it with Earl Asher and, and uh, some other players. And they said, let's make this into a, a really nice restaurant. And they took it over. And Russ had a lot of background in culinary from all over. And he said, let's, let's create a steakhouse concept by using fish. Mm-hmm. Back, back in the early 70s, all your fish was in the, you know, breaded, deep fried, and or covered in butter and so forth. And he said, let's... Let's get the best fish we can, jealously protect those ingredients, um, treat them like a steak under the broiler, a little salt, a little pepper, don't mess with it. Um, and that's the concept they came out with, and, and I think we all agree that that's kind of where the Pacific Northwest ended up. And that's where the cafe still is, upstairs. Downstairs, it seems like you try to do a little bit different uh, work with it, but yeah, the yeah, cafe the- is still kind of true to that. Yeah, the the full meal deal it raises. You know, you meet your friends for happy hour upstairs in the cafe. You fall in love. You have your first date downstairs in the boathouse, and get married next door in catering. <laughs> that's, 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 that's the, the complete yeah. circle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like Walmart. You go in and buy your tires, and you come up with a haircut. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I was just getting to Seattle at that time in '77, and I, I met Russ and. He was doing a lot of work with uh, like uh, ink prints with fish, which is something that I really loved. I still have an octopus today uh, from from that uh, era uh, that is just a inking the octopus and then putting it on a piece of paper and making an art project out of it. it. You've gone through some some trouble sometimes too. The dock burned up, I think, twice. Is that right? That where the, the restaurant uh, burned up twice. Dock restaurant burnt to the ground in '87, down to the to the waterline, um, and then again ten years to the day. Believe it or not, they had a small little kitchen fire downstairs that closed them for six months. Yeah. 
So the third anniversary of that day, the 30th of that, we were all uh, pre- walking around with fire extinguishers, pre- pretty paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such a tragic thing when you see that happen, and, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. I haven't had to deal with something like that yet, well, but... There's stories, and in, in, uh, people still come in, they say, hey, I remember when, and... Um, Months later, weeks later, people were mailing in checks and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't get a chance to pay. Here's, here's the check for our, our meal. That, right. you know, it, it was, the community was so great and no, so, of course. rallied around us. It was amazing. No, I mean, it's, I mean to me, Raceboat House, a few nights ago when it was hot, first thing I told my wife was, yeah, I guess we could go to race. And I go, unfortunately, <laughs> it's 7 o'clock. I know we're late. <laughs> you and everybody else. As in, yeah. the whole city wants to go to race yeah. the minute the sun comes up. I mean, it's a magnificent spot, and I'm always astonished by the fact that we don't have many places like this, even though we're surrounded by water here. I mean, Ray is a very special location. You know, it's, it's, it's very special to be sitting on that top floor, you know, on the cafe, watching the sunset. It's special. All right, we're going to talk about more of those memories when we come back here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Now there's traps and there's fishnets Trying to catch poor me Yes, there's traps and there's fishnets Trying to catch poor me All right, we're back here in the kitchen at the Hot Stove Society Show. We're joined by Jack Sigma and Doug Zellers, uh, co-owners of the... Doug, you're an owner, right? Yeah, Correct, co-owners yeah. of Ray's Boathouse. They're celebrating their 50th anniversary. Ray's uh, was home to many firsts here in Seattle, including uh, celebrating Olympia oysters, the region's only native oyster, They elevated Northwest delicacy uh, such as singing scallops, mm-hmm. The Loughborough Inlet Spot Prawns. Now, when I found out about spot prawns, I mean, I sold a lot of singing scallops, but when I found out about spot prawns, I was hooked. Copper River Salmon and John Raleigh uh, also did the uh, Oyster Fest with John Raleigh out there. Bruce Gore, Frozen at Sea Salmon, and then the novel concept of serving red wine with fish. You guys have been at the forefront of so many things when it comes to restaurants here in Seattle. Congratulations on that. Uh, let's talk about what, how you're going to celebrate your anniversary. Uh, we came out uh, with uh, a program last fall. We said, hey, let's, let's celebrate something every month, um, kind of culminating in June, which was our, I think it's June 23rd, our actual 50th anniversary date. So we picked a protein, and we said, uh, she, our executive chef, Kevin Murray, let's, let's pick something from the Ray's cookbook. We were kind of in the middle, I think, Seattle Kitchen, I want to say it was about 2001, and Rover's cookbook, I think that was around 2005. So we came out around 2003, and we said, hey, let's throw a little bit of a retro recipe in right from the cookbook, and then let's put another spin on it. We'll do an old world, and we'll kind of do a new world where Chef Kevin has an opportunity to do some, something fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so this month currently is black cod, sable fish. We're, we're having some fun with that. Um, last month was halibut because, of course, that's the, the, the first of it. Um, we did pen cove mussels in March, and coming up here... Um, in June, we're going to focus on king salmon, and we'll slowly transition that salmon into Copper River. It landed a couple days ago. I think. I know. I, could, I, I got know, it at the I, airport. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. a big thing. 
Uh, so they were uh, letting it rest yesterday, and they're going to fabricate it today, and we're going to see what, what comes up. That'll be on the menu starting today. God, yesterday afternoon, I was butchering 150 pounds of salmon yesterday, and it's like, I was one big, sticky, slimy mess. Because when it comes out of the water so fresh like that, slimy. it still has all the slime on it, which is a good thing. I mean, yeah. it's a good sign when you're fishing. I wish all my fish were slimy. Yeah. Yeah. That's always what I say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an ocean slime. It's not a bad, yeah, yeah. A bad slime, but... Uh, God, I almost cut my arm off. I was, <laughs> they were so slippery. Oh, yeah. And, you know, anyway, uh, so, yeah, looking forward to the Copper River season. Uh, as you wind through, uh, Chef Murray, how does he feel about the history? Does he feel responsibility for the history of Ray's? Or Yeah, I mean, we all, we all do. Yeah. Um, everybody. Everybody's invested in it, and that's a wonderful thing about having a team is we have had in the past. Uh, Jack had once said we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, you know, you try that spaghetti and you cook it, you throw it against the wall. Some of it sticks, some mm-hmm. of it doesn't. But don't mm-hmm. stop trying. Uh, yeah. We've tried a lot of things, uh, and we'll try them again and again, and, and we'll, we'll eventually you know, make in- innovative moves that move this industry forward and move our team forward and help our guest base have some fun and continue to stay fresh yeah. after 50 years. And to, to raise credit, they've always tried to stay fresh. I mean, that's where the whole downstairs yeah. concept came from. And uh, Jack, you've been eating there for 40 years. What do you, what's your go-to? I know what my go-to is. I have the smoked salmon salad, uh, which is the big plump nuggets of uh, cold smoked salmon. I think it's cold smoked anyways. Moist and delicious, and that's my go-to at Ray's. Do you have something that you have to have every time? Uh, I would say for lunch it would be the fish and chips and the uh, calamari uh-huh. uh, just upstairs in the cafe, at, uh, and there's plenty there. I'm, I'm a three-piece fish and chip guy, <laughs> a two-piece fish and chip guy, I have yeah. to say. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that's that. Halibut, uh, ling cod, what's your fish of choice? Uh, I, I'm the black cod and oh, the sake, uh, either the smoked or, or the sake kasu uh, yeah, crab. Bo- both melt in your mouth. Uh, we try to do it at home. It comes out okay, but not as good as what Ray's does. Uh-huh. So uh, we always uh, love that's to treat you- ourselves that way. And, uh, and, of course, salmon is a staple. So when Copper River comes through or Yukon or whatever, we'll, we'll uh, definitely participate in that. Too. Right, right. So delicious. You know, if you ever get stuck, uh, I don't know where you live, but Mutual Fish always has the Kasuzuki Black Cod in their case down there on Radnor Avenue. So if you're heading to the east side over I-90, just pull off at Mutual Fish, get a little Black Cod. And then, and then head home. And then look like a hero when you get yeah. to someone's house. I know. Yeah. It's caramelizes so beautifully, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we we uh, frequent Wajamaya. And oh, Bellevue. they have they, it, too. They yeah. have it, too. Yes. Yeah, so, exactly. uh, actually, we had it at home for Mother's Day. So Oh, really? Yep. And I didn't screw it up. So I, well, it you great. know, for some people... <laughs> For some people that struggle with cooking fish, that black cod is one to t- kind of take on and own because you basically can't overcook it. It's mm. so fatty and delicious that... Yeah, just throw it on the sheet pan, put it in the oven, and you're done. <laughs> you don't have to Chef, work. you would have loved it yesterday. I was cutting a 50-pound Copper River King uh-huh. that I got off the Alaska Airlines flight at the right. airport. The fat was just, I mean, it's a wild king. This isn't a farm fish. Fat was just oozing out of the fish as oh, I was nice. cutting it up. It was so beautiful. Oh, wonderful. Lovely, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on Ray's as you go? Doug, you've been there 10 years. Uh, do you have a favorite go-to dish when you? Uh, that, to me, Ray's, is, for me, I don't go there enough to not get what I want every time, and then maybe I'll have a, an, an optional something on the side, but I always have to have the thing that I go for. Yeah, and, and I have to agree with Jack. It's, it's the sable fish. Uh, it's, that, that, it's just so, it's been on our menu since the late 70s, mm-hmm. 
and the Thai mussels is my go-to as well. We've, that's been on our menu since '82. We found found an actual menu from there. It was Smith Corona. Somebody pounded it out. Um, so those those things are uh, are amazing. They're never going to go away, and, and they're just so 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 simple. Interior, you know. You, you build a dish with ingredients that are simple, and you don't you can't hide behind them. No, you know it's the simple and it's straightforward, and it's sometimes it's just salt and peppers. All if you, you can eat, be yeah. that good to make it that simple, you should definitely stick to it. That's always the way I feel. Agreed. You've got you good ingredients to start with. You're not going to go wrong at the end. Agreed. One of the great things about the pandemic was it was clearly recognizable early on of how much people appreciate restaurants for their yeah. tradition. Uh, and, you know, exactly what I was just talking about, which is I go there for the sable fish or I go there for a certain certain thing. And uh, congratulations to Ray's 50 years yeah, of bringing it. Absolute congratulations because uh, it's, it's a fit to, to last 50 years. There's only a few in town and you guys should be very proud of your yeah. work. And, you know, I drive by the old Hiram's on the way out to Ray's and it's just thinking about what could have been for Hiram's yeah. is what Ray's did. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's no small feat to keep a restaurant open 50 plus years. And, of course... Uh, Mr. Ray actually started it in 39, so it's been more than that as a boat launch and, and restaurant. So, uh, so fun. I, I can't say that I haven't stolen a few ideas from there for Seatown, <laughs> my little fish and chip joint down in the market. Uh-huh. Uh, that, to me, is a little combination sometimes of the Rays upstairs and the Rays downstairs. Mm-hmm. We just don't have the view. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> or the blankets. Yeah. You need the blankets out there. We do have a view, but it's not really one you want to look at. <laughs> but not it's the, the same. people sleeping in the circle out front. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks so much, Jack. And yeah, uh, thank, thank you, you so much for, you, for joining us. We Truly appreciate it. it, and best of celebration. Thank you. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Another restaurant uh, right out by Ray's, uh, Piccolino's on 32nd, lost its oh, yeah. owner to a heart attack this week. So oh. Sad sad news. It's like going in waves right now. I'm going to Rachel Marshall's uh, memorial on yeah. Friday morning. Yeah. So enjoy it while you can. Enjoy life while you can. Get into a restaurant. Okay, we're going to talk with uh, Autumn Martin when we come back on Cairo Radio. We're going to talk Frankie and Joe's. <gasps> She is right there. Didn't even, didn't even look up. On Cairo Radio, it's the hot stove. So it's show many I will never forget the little shrimp and the song he sang as he jumped into the mess. Goodbye, Mama Shrimp. Dedicate one to the lady. Summertime said, babe, need something to keep you cool. I now summertime said, babe, need something to keep you cool. Better look out now, though. Dave's got something for you. Tell you what it is. I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. Oh, my, my, I'm your ice cream man. Stop me when I'm passing by. We're back in the Seattle kitchen here at the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Chef Lamp is here. Roti roll. You're still awake. I'm happy. You took it. Slept. Oh, in I'm today. very awake. You seem very vibrant now. Oh, I got to sleep in I've this slept morning. Slept really well and yeah. uh, no worries. And except when I woke up, realized what time it was. <laughs> exactly. I'm Tom Douglas, and we're happy that you've joined us, uh, Chef. We were arguing earlier about how long we've been doing this show now. Yeah. And we think it's somewhere between 22 and 25 years. Yeah, I, which makes you very old. Yeah, and uh, you've been tagging along, so that makes you older. Yeah, there you you've go. always been older. Speaking of old, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. that is funny stuff right there. 
Uh, Autumn Martin is here, a maker of plant-based ice creams. How old is Frankie and Joe's at this point? We are six and a half. Six and a half years old. And Frankie and Joe's came out of your business called Hotcakes. Is that right? Yeah, I, I uh, started developing Frankie and Joe's when I had hotcakes. Uh-huh. And it's uh, so, so far been going good? It's good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. Let's go back a bit because okay. you have a, a long treasured Seattle history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know much before, I, I want to say you were the pastry chef at Canlis. And I don't know much before that or after that. I mean, I know more about after that. But yeah. tell us about how you got started in this sweet part of the business. Gosh. Well, so I'm from North Seattle, mm-hmm. Briar. And Briar. Briar. Wow. That mm-hmm. was early on. Yeah. That was a jungle back then. I know. It truly was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Now it's, you know, cul-de-sacs mm-hmm. and um, less farmland. But no, yeah. it's part of Linwood. It <laughs> what is it called? Linwood? Yeah, no, it's Linwood. Yeah. And before it was Aldred Manor. So oh. my family's from Edmonds mm-hmm. and they grew up. And my dad grew up in Edmonds, and um, it was then Aldred Manor, which then turned into Linwood. I see. Yeah, so. Your dad grew up in Edmonds when it was called Deadmonds. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone used to call it. I didn't know that. Brain Damage Island and Deadmonds. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, there were a few people there. Yeah. Um, so I went to uh, uh, Inglemore High School, and I wanted to go to art school after I graduated. Took a year off, went to Lake Tahoe, worked at a ski resort. And um, so did, uh, I was a ski bum for a season and worked in a fine dining restaurant as a hostess. And it was there that I discovered the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it was literally one night. I remember it so clearly. It was very windy. There was a storm outside. We were slow. And I was hanging out in the kitchen watching um, the chef and his sous on the line just bickering with each other. Uh-huh. And I just had this feeling inside of um, excitement, awe, wonder, and also a little bit of familiarity too. I was like, "Oh, I know, I know this. I know this bickering thing. <laughs> yeah. This is familiar." And I, I was um, so intrigued and inspired. So at that point, I had I had two paths. Do I go to art school, which is I was sculpting and that's what I wanted to do, or do I go to culinary school and work in the kitchen, which I grew up doing with my dad. I see. So, so art school, though, was it just as fancy as, say, going to culinary school? It was like RISD or someplace where you, you go? Oh, I had not even you researched even that far. That way, I hadn't yeah. gone that far. Um, so I came back to Briar and uh, got a job at the Honey Bear Bakery. No kidding. Yeah, Over in Lake in Forest Tanglewood. Park. Yeah. Well, this, so this was the second oh, one in Lake, Lake Forest, Forest Park. Park. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just love, really quick, we're talking about all these institutions today. You guys are an institution. The oh, show is an institution. Yeah. Raise is an institution. You know what that means. We're all oh, old. We're old. <clears throat> but bless these institutions, and the Honey Bear was one of them. Yeah. Um, so then they paid for a third of your culinary school tuition, which was so cool. And I took that as a sign. Also, there was this amazing cake decorator who was working there when I started. And so I thought, gosh, I could get my sculpting, creative art um, desire fed if I went into pastry. And I could get my culinary school paid for. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. Went to culinary school at Edmonds Community College. Okay. And um, went down the pastry path so that I could also sculpt. And one of my friends in culinary school worked at Canlis at the time. So she, Canlis, I don't know if they still do this, but then 
they would um, have high school students from Shorecrest, I believe. You could come and be an intern in the Canlis kitchen. So she was an intern in high school, and um, she was still working there as a prep cook. And she told me that they needed a pastry. At that time, it, the position was not pastry chef. It was the pastry person. And so I went in and interviewed and started my career there. Fun. And had the boys taken over yet, or was it still Chris and Alice? It was still Chris and Alice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, but Brian and Mark were certainly there mm-hmm. when I was there. Yeah. But they hadn't. They hadn't. Another institution. Taken yeah. it over. Another institution. Yeah. yeah. It's good to look back. I mean, sometimes I just feel old, but other times it's fun to look back and see uh, how the history has evolved of the Seattle dining scene yeah. over the years. So No, it's very interesting to see how Seattle has evolved. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, God, in 87 versus today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wow, what a change. So here you are, you're at Canlis, and all of a sudden this, this cool opportunity pops up. In the, somebody in Seattle, the guys from... Uh, uh, the bakery essential essential bakery decide yeah. they're going to go beans to bar and do this chocolate gig mm-hmm. and that's just intrigued you so there's a there's a little piece in between i actually um discovered at canlis the the world of chocolate from one of the purveyors at peterson's and i cannot remember her name elaine i think yeah yeah and she would bring me all these different samples and explain terror explain the or the percentage and i had no idea that chocolate started from a fruit and a seed Mm -hmm. so that really captivated me and i resigned from canlis with the intention of going to central america and and mexico the origins of cacao to study down there at the time, I was actually baking for Persimmon. Do you guys remember Persimmon oh, yeah. in yeah. Fremont? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was doing her pastry while I was working at Canlis, and her friend, a machinist, was working on the equipment down at the Essential Chocolate Company, and uh-huh. she told me that they needed somebody. So I went down there and interviewed. They wanted me to be their chocolatier, and I was like, nope, I don't want to be a manager any longer. Um, I, I want to learn from somebody. I want somebody to take me under their wing and teach me about chocolate. And their proposition was, come be our chocolatier, learn everything you can, we'll send you to school, and you can grow this program. So that was before, what's the, uh, the captain of the uh, team that won the world pastry, that Bakery Nouveau? And oh. Um, he, because he, he became, later on, he came to Essential, right? Yes. Gosh. He was doing all the pastries and the chocolate for a short term there. Oh, so sorry. I'm forgetting your name right now. Of course. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. It's okay. Drawing a blank. But yes. So William. 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 Thank you. Yes. William. No, he had just left. So this is why they needed somebody. So ah. he left. Um, and it was Todd. I cannot remember Todd's last name, but it, he was the COO, essentially, of, right. a, of Essential. Mm-hmm. And he was making all of the confections, and he needed somebody to come in and, and help. So I ended up taking the position. And then you ended up working with our now executive producer, Pamela Hinckley, there. Fortunately, Fortunately yes, I did. She was a bright spot there, wasn't she? She came in and blessed everybody with uh-huh. her, her magic. Yep. Absolutely. She was yeah. sales and marketing director at the time. She was. And uh, left there and came to us 15 years ago. We're so thankful for that. Oh, my gosh. I know. So you did your thing. Uh, the last thing I remember about you at Theo was being sprayed in chocolate in a chocolate booth. 
<laughs> those Who were doesn't love that? Good times. Those were the good times. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the chocolate show in its infancy and naked bodies covered in chocolate, yeah. sculptures, art shows. It was good. And yeah. deliciousness. I mean, yeah. you were doing some high tech things with chocolate. Well, I will never forget Pamela Hinckley came to me one day and said, What about fig and fennel together? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I thought, like, huh, interesting. And she planted that seed for the fig fennel chocolate bar, the fig fennel confection. The, the fennel uh, veggie spice rub that I have in my line, line is uh, all her. She's a fennel girl. We need to She's buy her fennel. Inspiring, She's inspiring. She's fennel Okay, so when we come back, let's talk about how hotcakes, and then you morphed into Frankie and Joe's and wrap up your amazing culinary career that's uh, so far. <laughs> On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Baby laughing, singing in the kitchen. All the kids singing in the kitchen. Banging on the pots and pans. Supper's done and table's clear. Baby wants a bottle and I want a beer. Okay, we're back here in the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo. We're going through the history of Autumn Martin, who you might know probably most famously through Theo Chocolate, as you're the first chocolatier of Theo, mm -hmm. which Pam and I are both still invested in, and of hot cakes, the mm -hmm. delicious hot molten cakes in a jar you can buy still to this day in the freezer department of your grocery store mm -hmm. or at a couple of hot cake shops around town. You developed that whole concept. Mm -hmm. But while you were at Hot Cakes... And I was an investor in hotcakes, mm -hmm. and one of the few places I've ever gotten my money back from. Thank you very Aww. much. Uh, but uh, while you were there, you, you uh, were working on an idea. Are you vegan yourself? I'm not. No, okay. But you were working on an idea for a vegan ice cream. I know you always had a vegan caramel sauce. Yeah. Uh, so tell us how that got going. You've had a kid in between, mm. uh, and now you've got your own ice cream shops. And where is it going? Where's your life headed? All right. Let's start with my dairy allergy. So that's, that's really where the vegan caramel sauce came from with hotcakes. Um, I actually discovered I had a dairy allergy while I was in pastry school oh. in 2000. So that, oh. was, that was challenging. And I just said, Mm -mm. Like, you're not yeah. getting in the way of my newfound passion and mm -hmm. love. So it was around 2007 when I really started to feel the, um, the effects of having this dairy allergy and eating, you know, all the butter and all the cream. So I stopped eating dairy. Um, and it was 2008 when I started hotcakes. So when I started hotcakes, it was very important that I had, you know, non-dairy options. Um, and... Gosh, I don't know if you guys remember that silly little book I did in 2012, the Milkshake Cookbook. Oh, now that you say it, I do yeah, remember yeah, that yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah. I, it was, it was a the boozy silly ones, thing. Right? The, yep, exactly. Yeah. So I started working on this milkshake book, um, and it was full of dairy recipes. And it was then that I created a vegan ice cream recipe, and that like was a the base, start. Right. It was a base. Yep. So that started Frankie and Joe's. Um, and I was doing hotcakes and um, really wanted a delicious vegan ice cream to eat for myself. Uh, I grew up on Haagen-Dazs, so creamy, luxurious. I wasn't eating that any longer, and I needed, I needed a good ice cream that I could eat. 
So um, I started working on one. Nice. Yeah. So what's the base? Yeah. If so it's not cow's milk, what is it? Right now, so we started doing a cashew coconut base, uh-huh. and, and now we're doing mostly coconut and oat. That oat is so lovely for texture. Right. Yeah, because that, yeah. that's the, the other problem with not using cream is you, you need that texture, and, and that's, that's what often is not in, when, when that's removed, when the cream is removed, that's often what you don't find is a textural creaminess than you get in regular ice cream. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah, and it was important to me that um, that the ice cream f- from Frankie and Joe's be as good or better than a dairy ice cream. Um, I really at that this was 2013, and I really wanted more people to have access to foods, traditional foods. You know, these foods that give us nostalgic sure. heart feelings inside of our body. These foods without using animals and i knew the only way to do that was to to make this vegan ice cream as delicious um and creamy and fatty as possible i think the only one i had had up to that point was tofuti or something like that Mm -hmm. and and it's just not my gig that was more i made made one for the uh that was like a more like a sorbet in a way but for the uh, heart association i remember working on that and basically just roasted cordon apple put honey in it and crushed walnuts and put that in the oven and baked it till it was totally done. Blend the crap out of it. There we go. You yeah, got to freeze it into an ice cream? Freeze it into an ice cream. And it was beautiful because the, the honey, as you know, created that texture where it doesn't freeze entirely. So it was beautifully texturally. It was very, and I was like, hey, here's a vegan thing that you can really enjoy. Amazing. <laughs> All what? you have to do is put spice or honey or, I mean, spice or herbs, whatever you want to put in there, then you could add to that for flavor. Mm-hmm. But the base of the baked ice cream, a uh, baked apple is a great texture. Well, gosh, and that pectin, I imagine too, yeah. that's inherent in the apple yeah. helps out with that texture. Yeah, I mean, wow. you could play a lot as a base, especially in Washington State. <laughs> True. So you have two shops now? We have three. Three shops now? Three shops. And what can people expect to find for spring flavors in there? Oh, goodness. What month are we in right now? May. We're in May. Okay. So right now we have a fun collaboration with Siete Foods. Uh, are you familiar with them? They're, no. they're a brand, a nationwide brand, food company, seven brothers and sisters. They're Mexican-American family. Um, and they make your standard Mexican-American food, but grain-free and vegan. Uh, they're amazing. And so we're doing a, um, what, what is a key lime pie? I can't remember the, the Spanish name for it. Um, but it's key lime ice cream, marshmallow fluff, and little pieces of Mexican wedding, wedding cookies throughout Mm -hmm. is good. It sounds really good. It's really good. And then right now we have our Mexico morning, which is Mexican coffee, um, and cookies and caramel or dulce de leche throughout. Uh, and then our Veracruz Vanilla, which is always a May staple. Um, we partner with a woman-owned, third-generation Mexico um, Mexican vanilla plantation, uh, which I've been to in Veracruz, Mexico, because uh, Mexico is where vanilla comes from, mm-hmm. right? This was the origin of vanilla. and It's not Tahiti? It's well, not no, Tahiti. It's a, different, it's it a is, different type of vanilla, too. Right, it's the um, the station Madagascar. Like, no, it's the other not one. Madagascan. No, it's oh. uh, bourbon. The bourbon vanilla. The bourbon vanilla. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's I a didn't know that. Type, different type of vanilla. 
But it's good. I love Mexican vanilla. It's really delicious. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, and good to support, right? Because once Europe got a hold of it and then took it to Africa and the surrounding islands, um, they stopped producing it. So we're, we're trying to help um, get Mexico back on the map for vanilla farming. Uh, and so, yeah, that's our other flavor. It's good. Um, and then next month, gosh, can I really announce our June flavors yeah, right yeah. now? Yeah, let's do it. It's only two weeks away. You know what? I'll do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are paying an homage to Haagen-Dazs for June. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got three Haagen-Dazs classics, um, coffee, just an unadulted. Yeah. That's one of my favorite. Oh, me too. Yeah, growing up, we had that a lot. And we're partnering with Blue Star my dear coffee friends, Dana yep. Make, yep, love them and their coffee. We tested many different coffees, and by far their Highway 20 was the best. Um, and then we're doing a mango sorbet. It's actually a vanilla ice cream with a mango sorbet swirl. It's really good. Um, and then we're doing a cone, caramel cone. Nice. Yeah, which I didn't eat as a child. I think it's a newer flavor, but a classic nonetheless. Sounds so lovely. And where are the three stores? So first one is in Capitol Hill. We opened that in 2016. Um, And then we have one in Ballard, North Ballard, right next to Delancey. Uh, And then U Village. And we have a new store opening in California. No way. In June. Cali. You're moving out of state. I'm not moving. (laughs) (laughs) California. Where in California? In Marin County. Next thing you know, we'll be the salt and straw all over again. It'll be Frankie and Joe's. Mm, we'll take, see. Taking over the world. She didn't say no. She just went, we'll see. <laughs> well, Autumn, it's been lovely having you yeah. and you know, getting caught up uh, on your where you are now, but also remembering all the cool things that you've done in your sweet career. Uh, that's in uh, congratulations on your baby talent and mm. uh, all the things that uh, life brings to the people in the restaurant business. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. And you briefly mentioned that you were an investor in hotcakes, and this is true. And one of my like biggest supporters and mentors, and thank you for oh, all of your support and love over the years. That. That's it for us. If you uh, want to be part of our show, you can uh, join our community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Company. Also, remember, if you missed any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical director, and our talented Cairo editor is Sean. Please don't call me Del Torre. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous weekend. Thank you, Terry. Everybody's home, but I hate-